Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Decoding Dragons, where we break down all things House the Dragon. We're your hosts as always, Liza and Michelle, and we're here to spill the royalty and break down the fire for every episode. Yeah, so we finally got to see a big time jump. We're going to break down into season one, episode six of House of the Dragon, named The Princess and the Queen. What did you think of the episode? I thought it was really emotional and there was a lot that was going on. So for those who are new to Game of Thrones, there can be a lot of quickly moving parts, especially in episodes like this that are a peace moving episode. But like with the original show, um, the pacing can be slow so you can get super invested in the scene. And you can know that even if it doesn't pay off in that episode, it will pay off in the future. And the things that are going on aren't just drama for drama's sake. Like, people aren't being petty just to be petty. It's actually important to the overall storyline. And there are little lines that are interspersed in between um, that really kind of show you what's going to happen in the future. So I thought that was really prominent in this one. I thought that they did the pacing really well. There were some places I wish they would have, like, held for just a little bit longer. Like um, Damon's expression and his face after um, Vagar and Lena, I thought they would. I wish they would have held that just a little bit longer. But they had to kind of get to the fire in Harrenhal, so they cut over there. But other than that, I thought it was really well paced, and we got to see um, a little bit of semi confirmation for a theory that we mentioned last week. So um, in our last episode, we were talking about there's a theory going around the internet that. Um, Helena Targaryen's dragon, Dreamfire, is actually the dragon that laid the eggs that Danny has later on. So Helena isn't uh, Dreamfire's first rider. Dreamfire's first rider actually had a companion who stole three dragon eggs and went to Pentos. And as far as I know, they never found those dragon eggs. So pretty much the internet thinks that those are the dragon eggs that Danny had later on. And we got like a tiny itty bitty bit of possible confirmation because when Aemon goes down into the bottom of the dragon pit, the dragon he sees down there is very possibly Helena's dragon. And um, you can see that um, Dreamfire bears a marked resemblance to Danny's dragons. And while we're not for sure that it's Dreamfire that he saw, and no one's 100% for certain that those are three dragons, it's a strong, strong, strong possibility. So I thought it was super cool um, seeing that in there. We also got to see two new dragons. We got to see Vermax and Vagar. Uh, first of all, what did you think of them? Well, so it, it would make sense the way that they were kind of being dramatic about uh, Aemon being down in the dragon pit and making sure that if it was Dreamfire, that they really showed Dreamfire. So that was a good little nod if that's who that is. Um, and so for everything you just said, so Helena is Allison's daughter that she was talking to in this episode. Aemon is one of the uh, Allison's sons, the younger son that they were picking on in the dragon pit. So just to clarify that, but we did get to see new two new dragons. Vermax was really fun because we got to see 
um, basically the claiming of a dragon, which was really fun. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> when I saw Caraxes like swishing his tail through the water, and then we saw Vagar, I literally went, "Yeah!" <laughs> so goofy it was so great she is an incredible dragon she is and i it was so amazing to see her on screen for the first time the size difference is ridiculous between she's huge well she came over um with aegon the conqueror during the conquest of westeros and so she got to fly with Beleriand during the conquest so when i the whole thing i could think of while i was watching Vagar is no wonder we haven't seen Beleriand yet. They'd have to fit him on screen at <laughs> scale with a human. That was so cool to see, but it was really cool to see um, Vermax's training, I guess, a little bit. Like, because, um, you know, and fun fact for anybody who has the Dracaris app, like the AR app they have where you can get and train your own dragon. I have had the app for a while now. <laughs> That's so, awesome. um, some of the words they were using are words you get to use on the app to train your digital dragon. So Fun. I heard some of them, like, I think, gosh, um, I think it's umbas is wait. And so the dragon kind of sits up and waits for you to tell it what to do next. And I thought that was like a really nice nod. It kind of makes you feel a little bit more involved in the show just a little bit. Yeah. So that was super fun. But it was really nice seeing Vermax. And it was nice seeing a baby dragon. We haven't seen a little dragon in a long time. No, not, I mean, not since Daenerys hatched her own. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Vagar, to make sure everybody can keep up with that, is who we were talking and discussing with in, I think, episode two, when Lena Valerion, the little girl, was trying to court the king, and she kept asking questions about Vagar, and, and he said that he she wouldn't fit in the dragon pit, she's too large, and yeah, like you said, she came over uh, with Aegon the Conqueror and Valerian the Dread, she was Visenya's dragon, so she's very old, um, she's very huge, and she was incredible to see on screen. <laughs> it was amazing, that is, she is the absolute largest dragon we're probably going to see in the whole show unless they do the anthology and we do see Beleriand in the future so it was it was fantastic and we actually really want to talk about the dragon bond between Lena and um Vagar. so let's go ahead and jump into our blood section so we can really break it down All right, so we got to see Lena fly Vagar, and they have a very, very special connection. So what do you think about the dragon bond as you've seen it in the show? Yeah, so that's actually really neat because something that Lena was talking to her one of her daughters about was it takes sometimes a while for a dragon to hatch or for a dragon to bond. And she was like 15, I think, right, before she even got to bond with Vagar. So... Before we get into like super spoilers with um, the fire section, there is a really, really big moment between Lena and Vagar, and the connection there is was very sweet. It was very emotional, um, and I think they balanced it really perfectly with it's still a wild animal. Uh, basically, it's still a very ferocious animal, but it does indeed have a bond and it can have an emotional range and I just found that really uh the balance there was really good agreed I think that um although we got to see of Vagar and Lena's connection I think it shows how intelligent the dragons are like because um Martin's 
dragons in A Song of Ice and Fire don't talk the way that, um, you know, Smog talks or um, in Aragon the way Saphira can communicate. So I think that being able to see their communication without needing words really shows the intelligence and the um, ability to sense others' emotions that the dragons have with their riders. Yeah, so the very, well, when we first saw them flying, right, you could obviously tell that it was just a really fun time for everybody. And then at the very, very end with the emotional ending of uh, Lena essentially um, begging Vagar to end her suffering, uh, she had already mentioned in the episode that she wanted to die a dragon rider's death, which I would interpret as on dragon back in a battle, but the way they kind of poetically did it with her asking her bonded dragon to, to do it for her. And you, Vagar struggled with it, and I thought it was beautiful. It was, it was very, very emotional. And um, it does actually happen differently in the books. So she does struggle in childbirth, but she does deliver the baby. There are complications afterwards. So mm -hmm. she walks down and tries to go fly Vagar for one last ride, but she can't make it. So Damon finds her like on the path between wherever she was to Vagar, and he'll, he carries her back to bed, and he and Rhaenyra um, sit vigil over her body. So I actually like what happened in the show better than that, because I think, you know, her choice, like, to go and um, seek out Vagar, and like you said, to ask Vagar to do that for her, and seeing Vagar struggle with that decision was um, incredibly emotionally impactful, and it really does show how deep the bond goes between dragon and dragon rider. Because I can't imagine what Vagar must have been feeling, because I, I think that Vagar probably knew she was pregnant and so I think that kind of adds the complexity as well yeah and I just kind of want to have a side tangent about all the badass women in this series giving birth and then walking around oh what are God. you doing <laughs> sit down <laughs> I know I know and you could see when Allison summoned her to take her baby and Rhaenyra took the baby herself Kristen stops in front of her just to make her stand there a little bit longer and I'm like can you please remove yourself from the area thank you but you can see um they'll they pan in on um Rhaenyra and Lenor and you can see the blood the footsteps behind them going there and I'm just like but it really um does add the insult I think that was a good way to show the the tension and strife between these two women it was a great way to show the timeline jump to to show you that it has indeed gotten much much worse and mm -hmm. Allison is basically a freaking Karen at this point and just is a little crazy. Just a little bit. So, and she also has her connections around the castle. So it's not just Kristen who's on her side. Now she's got Laris on her side. And he has been stirring the pot. So what do you think about Laris in this episode? I was actually kind of shocked to see him again. I'm not going to lie. Because in last episode, you know, 10 years ago, Allison seemed a little bothered by his little fingerness, his, you know, stirring the pot kind of, uh, making sure all of the pettiness is going on. So I didn't expect that growth from Allison. I figured she would be like, eh, I don't want to deal with this. But because, you know, everything that happened last episode, because she found out about Rhaenyra's discretion and lies, that snapped something in Allison. And so now she is using Laris as almost a master of whispers, but also like a little finger style. Um, tell me everything that's going on and I will treat you well. 
and I just I found it interesting that there there obviously was no intimacy, but they're having dinner together. Like they have they obviously have a friendship, and this guy is like bad news for I feel like for everybody. It's it's literally a little finger character to me. He doesn't have anybody but himself um, in mind, and so I don't like him. Obviously, I was more surprised that they shoot showed that growth from Allison going, I don't know about you, to, hey, let's have dinner 10 years later and let's really try to fuck some shit up. Yeah, she absolutely grew some teeth and his metaphor about thriving in King's Landing has come true. So, and I do like that he picked the flower at the end of their confrontation. So what happens is um, Allison and Laris, they meet and they discuss that essentially um, Allison feels alone, like no one's on her side, no one's see no one is willing to say out loud that Rhaenyra's children are Harwin's children, you know? So um, after they have that conversation, Laris apparently, question mark, uh, takes it upon himself to burn his father and brother in Harrenhal to eliminate the um, influences with Rhaenyra to get Harwin out of the way, basically. And so afterwards, after she tells him she didn't tell him to do that, he's like, I'm sure you'll find a way to repay me. Picks flower. And the level of confidence you have to have in your position to tell the queen who didn't ask you to do something <laughs> that she'll find a way to repay you. I was like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> oh, no. This is. And I mean, Littlefinger basically caused the Game of Thrones everything so I'm just sitting here looking at Laris like are you about to cause everything <laughs> so he's stirring the pot and I guess that kind of gets us into my next question you've sort of already answered it about um what do we think about Allison after this episode and um I for one think for sure she grew some teeth absolutely um but it's also I kind of like seeing her do the political game like you know as a fan of game of thrones it's always fun seeing characters climb the political ladder and she is moving up it yeah i do want to say that you saw a lot of her dad's influence on her mm -hmm. that one conversation like what you mentioned at the very beginning where it kind of is a slow moving show with um fast moving parts yeah. right so that one conversation between otto hightower who got fired as the hand of the king and his daughter allison um, at the beginning of last episode really stuck with her. So he really planted a seed that if it ever comes to either her kids or Al uh, Rhaenyra Rhaenyra's kids to become king, she firmly believes in her heart that Rhaenyra is going to put her family in harm's way. And something that her dad, you know, some the power that her dad had over her in that conversation really stuck with her. And so now she is hell-bent on just getting Rhaenyra out of the way getting her kids out of the way because Rhaenyra's kind of dumb in the sense of doing what she did meaning it's obvious that she's had bastards as children now and everything that Alicent is feeling and saying is actually kind of accurate but she doesn't need to be such a bitch well and I think the like the general idea and consensus I think most people agree that Rhaenyra wouldn't have killed her children at least to be specific at the beginning of the <laughs> um the family the family civil war 
things change, obviously, but I think like early Rhaenyra probably would not have killed her children. And we see a little bit of that when she offers to have Jace marry Helena. So, and then Alicent, you know, had to bring attention to her situation. And I was like, you really don't have to be so direct. You could have been much more um, kind about that. And because that was just a way to use what was going on to undermine her at the court and at the council. So I was, yeah, Alicent is petty. I really, I, I'm going to interrupt you really quickly. I really thought that that conversation was really important um, because Rhaenyra, I feel like, was being genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I thought that was a brilliant question, but it was also a very petty question because she knows how much Alicent's faith means to her and she knows how much the Targaryen um, tradition upsets her. And so while you could see like King Viserys like this is the best day of my life this is a great idea and it was it's it's a very good political move and political question in front of the high council but deep down inside you also know it's incredibly petty and Allison's just stirring that is a that is a really good point because you bring up um the importance of their faith because you know they're from the high tower in old town and um earlier in the book fire and blood there is a lot of trouble between the targaryens and the faith because obviously um old town and the faith in westeros is against incestuous marriage obviously and um the targaryens are clearly very pro incestuous marriage so they had um a lot of networking and um politicking to do there to kind of ease the strain and the tension so i didn't even think about that that was a very good point that you brought up absolutely yeah and that could even be well thank you sorry just move past that no um and that could <laughs> even be a call back to like season five right where of, of game of thrones when the sept of Baylor is um or the sept yeah is in king's landing and trying to get cersei to admit to her discretions and which are going to be the same as the Targaryen discretion. So yeah. it's it's all so interwoven, it's amazing. I know, and there there are so many similarities. Like the whole um the seed is strong, where um Rhaenyra's children are obviously Harwins, and then um Cersei's children are obviously not Baratheon children. So I thought it's just it is very, very like correlated and intermingled. So and Oh, go ahead. I did, I did appreciate that even Damon in Pintos was like, does this one bear the same resemblance to the Lord Commander of the City Count, City Watch? And so and that was a really good, clever way for the writers to show the realm is aware. <laughs> everyone knows. And Allison's yeah. right. Like, everyone can see. And Viserys, he loves his daughter, but he's very willfully blind. And he works very hard to keep the peace. But unfortunately, he didn't do it in a way that would last, or he didn't do it in a way that the peace he tried to make would outlive him. So as hard as he worked and as much as he wanted there to be peace between these two people and make amends, he didn't ever put his fist down and do something that was going to last long enough to really heal the rift. It was all temporary solutions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there was there was a lot that went on in this episode, so we will go ahead and get into our fire section so we can get into like the deep lore and the super spoilers and really get it moving, but we have a lot to talk about. So the very beginning of the episode is uh, Rhaenyra giving birth, which was a really nice nod to the beginning of the series to her mom giving birth. 
right? A good callback for that. So one of the things that happened was Allison being petty and saying, hey, let me see the baby. And Rhaenyra um, is also being petty and saying, let me take her. Or let me take the child to see her. And we get to we do get to see older Lenor immediately. But on the way to go see the queen, we run into a lot of people on one person in particular on the stairs said um, his name was Lord Caswell. Said, if there's anything you need me to do, you know, let me know. Is that a, a foreshadowing not as he integral in, in the dance in the future? While he's not a forefront player in the dance, he may get more screen time because based on my research, when, um, I think when Aegon II, big spoilers people, um, <laughs> when Aegon II takes the throne in King's Landing, they um, basically give the people who are loyal to Rhaenyra that they managed to like gather together, the people who were loyal to Rhaenyra, they give them the choice to swear fealty to Aegon II or lose their head. So I think mm. Caswell is one of those who chooses to remain loyal to Rhaenyra, and um, thus he's, you know, beheaded for it. So I think, you know, having him be there this early in what's going on, and then um, possibly seeing him again later on is just going to show the toll that everybody paid when they picked their sides. Because this civil war doesn't just tear the Targaryens apart, it, tell, it tears Westeros apart. So I think seeing someone who has been there from the beginning lose their head over their loyalty for... Because, I mean, Rhaenyra and Alicent both have redeeming qualities and they both have problematic qualities. Yeah. So seeing someone who's been so loyal to her from the beginning lose their head over it is probably going to be an impactful scene. So that was my best guess at why we get to see him so early. Okay. I thought it was going to, it was a nice little, Hey, this guy, you need to know this name for the future. Yeah. Well, um, we might see him again. And I think that they, um, the Caswell house is near Bitterbridge and there are a few things that happen on Bitterbridge. So, but I don't know if there's season two and season three spoilers and I'm working really hard to just use season one spoilers for this <laughs> season of decoding dragons. I don't want to go too far into it. So um, there is some stuff that happens at Bitterbridge, and I think Caswell's house is near Bitterbridge. So oh, that might be a point of thought as well. Okay. So earlier we also mentioned that we got to see someone claim their dragon. We did get to see a new dragon, Vermax. So what were your thoughts on that scene of watching that interaction between Ryder and Dragon? And then what did you also think about the bullying that was going on? So um, as far as watching someone train their dragon, every time I say that, I always think of um, the, How to train your dragon. The, yeah, <laughs> the animated movie. But um, watching someone train their dragon was really interesting because they actually had a system. Because Danny was so far after her ancestors had had dragons, she had to learn how to do it herself, basically. At least as far as the Game of Thrones show went. So um, watching them have a system to train these dragons was really, really interesting. And... Um, Vermax looks so cool. So I don't think they ever say exactly what Vermax's appearance was in the books. They kind of got free reign there. And that was nice to see. And I liked how um, they were reminding Jaceris, right, Jace, that he had to command the respect of the dragon. Like, it's a formidable creature, and they're not naturally domesticated in any way whatsoever. So you, it would be difficult and challenging, but very, very rewarding to be able to claim and demand the respect of a dragon so i thought they're gonna be like uh proud creatures like hippogriffs in harry potter you have to bow to them and get their respect back (laughs) exactly so it'll be really nice to see how that bond grows and i do like that 
I'm not saying this is canon. I'm just saying it was just a fun little nod that um, after he said Dracarys, um, one of the dragon keepers clapped him on the back like, good job, kid. And it's just nice because, you know, we saw Danny say Dracarys so many times. It's cool to see it as a bit of a solidifying moment for all the dragon riders in this show. Like, it makes it, it just makes it really special. It feels like that's the moment that them and the dragon click. So, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, and then we are seeing Allison's children and Rhaenyra's children growing up together, but there's obviously some contention there. And I'm I'm curious as to how much contention that they're feeling is because of their parents and mm-hmm. because of their mom's, um, you know, strife between them. But what did you think of all the bullying that was going on? So, um, obviously, because their parents don't get along and they're forced to live in such close proximity before Rhaenyra goes to Dragonstone, um, having to be around each other all the time does cause a lot of strife. And so they don't get along in the books. I keep saying books. I mean book. It's a uh, one book, Fire and Blood. I'm just so used to saying books because of a series. But um, so they don't get along in the book. But I thought the scene with Alice and Aegon had a lot of repercussions throughout. Um, because where she's she walks into his room and she catches him having fun out of the window and I have to make a Homelander reference there because that's the first thing I thought of people who watch the boys so but she catches him and she tells him you know you are the threat just by living like the fact that you are the king's first trueborn son and Rhaenyra um is his first trueborn daughter the fact that you are here is the reason that um this is all basically gonna go down and I think that that really does play a part in how they interact later like in the yard where they're doing their sword fighting, etc. Um, I personally thought they got along a little bit better than I expected them to, but they mm. still didn't get along. And you really got to see um, the brawl in the castle training yard where Kristen Cole is being petty. And petty Kristen Cole is going to be fun to see, but it also really makes me not like him. So <laughs> he's very petty. I'm just, I'm really surprised. I don't know if I'd be, if I'm super surprised by it, but like that one small scene between Rhaenyra and Kristen in the previous, you know, episode of what happened with that, you know, episode four, had that much of an impact on that man. Like for him to go like snap and then kill somebody last episode and then 10 years down the road, now he calls her what he calls her, like good lord man like don't you have better things to do with your time other than think about all of that unless do you think it's any jealousy it it might be jealousy i can definitely see that happening the whole time i was watching like i'm gonna call him petty Kristen, you know for now i'm gonna (laughs) call him petty Kristen. so the whole time i was watching him you know be that way on screen i was like i knew there was a reason i didn't like you in the books i kind of get where he's coming from but it's also an overreaction Like, you're doing too much. You need to not do all that. So, but especially, um, I liked that Harwin called him out and was like, you need to train them all equally. You're giving way too much um, focus to Allison's children. Basically, you need to train my boys equally. And I thought that was a good moment. And he beat the shit out of Kristen after um, Kristen had the nerve in front of everyone to be like, most people would only have that sort of devotion to the training of someone else if it was their brother or cousin or son Harwin's like say it again I'll beat the fuck out of you (laughs) and he did and he succeeded (laughs) so yeah and um I hated that he got um basically they changed it a little bit I think he was dismissed 
and sent to Harrenhal, but I do like how they handled it in the show because um, I could be wrong. You know, they did dismiss him from the City Watch and then his father took him back to Harrenhal. So I think it's close enough. I think it's good. But um, basically he was standing up for his family and then his brother murdered him for it. Yeah, I do kind of wish they would go in. They would have delved a little deeper into um, the strong family as to like why Laris would do something like that. I mean, right. he just murdered his father and his brother, which is a perfect segue into my next question about. We've already discussed it a little bit, but how do you feel about Laris essentially blackmailing Allison with the fire at Heron Hall? Blackmail is a good word because she didn't ask him to do it. But if anybody asked him why, he could have said she asked him to do it. And, you know, it is the Queen's word over, you know, he's sort of her master of whispers, I think, right? Mm -hmm. So it would be her word over his, and as the Queen, she'd probably win. But I think after someone does something like that, you think twice about crossing them. Because if they can make something like that happen that far away to their family members, who they're related to... Without much of a reason why, other than um, whatever was going on interpersonally between their family, I think you think twice before you double cross them. So it took me to it took me a little while to realize it was Laris speaking for the voiceover for the end of the episode. But it yeah. was a really um, solid way to end the episode. It's like classic Game of Thrones. Like you didn't ask me to do you this favor, but I did you this favor, and now you owe me. So. I thought it was smart on his behalf. I mean, because in one swoop, he does a big, bad favor for Allison. But now Allison is much deeper into this mess than she thought she was going to be and that she wanted to be. And now she has a lot of guilt over her head. She's got um, a lot more complications to deal with. And I was thinking earlier this morning, you know, after watching the episode last night, Rhaenyra was traveling like she was on the way to Dragonstone and um, the birds like the messenger birds don't find people on the road so she might not know like she might get to Dragonstone and then find out and that's gonna be a heart-wrenching reaction because I always thought that um, her and Harwin did love each other I think when they were saying goodbye it was just really hard for her to keep it together and you know at the castles they do have to maintain appearances so she couldn't you know like say goodbye the way she wanted to because her sons were there and Jace is already kind of um, getting wise to the fact that Harwin's probably his dad mm -hmm. so just yep. thinking about the fact that she might arrive at Dragonstone to find out just it's like pre-breaking my heart yeah that was an adorable moment between Har uh, Harwin and Rhaenyra when they were leaving the, they basically made out with their eyes but <laughs> there was so much meaningful like looks in there and yeah. You, you could tell that they just they just wanted to hug or they wanted to say bye in the way that they should have. But we did get to learn a little bit of history behind Harrenhal with the conversation between Laris and Allison. That was so much fun. Yes, so Harrenhal, everybody does think it's cursed. We hear about that in Game of Thrones. But um, Harren actually built the castle under, like, the worst means possible. And he thought it was basically undefeatable. But if I remember correctly, Aegon flies all the way up above the castle and comes straight down so he doesn't have to deal with the castle walls. And he sets fire to the inside of the castle, like all the wood parts of the structure. And um, Beleriand's flames were so hot that the stone itself starts melting. 
And I think Heron and all of his fam, all of his, you know, sons had died in the fire. So ever since that point, there's basically been considered to be a curse over Harrenhal. And we see it um, throughout Game of Thrones. We're seeing it now. But we are also seeing that some people take actions and then blame the curse, like Laris did, as a way to cover it up and use, um, you know, people's superstitions against them. Oh, uh, that's a really good point I didn't think about, actually. Yeah, because people are definitely going to do something like that. Uh, so my last question for you is kind of about Allison and her daughter, Helena, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, she's playing with some caterpillars and uh, some bugs that she's been collecting, and she's really interested in them, obviously. But she was saying some really interesting things. Is there some foresight going on? Like, I'll let you get into the spoiler talk about what she said because you know what's going to happen. But maybe a dragon dreamer or anything like that on our hands? There's a possibility. I don't remember them mentioning her having um, that gift and skill in the book, but I would love it if she had it in the show because um, I've always liked Helena's character. She goes through a lot throughout um, the mm. Dance of the Dragons, and some of it may be season two and three spoilers, so I won't get into it too much, but um, Helena's life is very, very difficult. So her having the gift of foresight um, or I think it might be I am not versed in this section of A Song of Ice and Fire lore so feel free to sound off in the comments if you know more about it but from what I understand like the green dreams that Bran has might be different than the dragon dreams that the Targaryens have um, but it does seem like she does have some sort of foresight because a uh, spoiler where Alicent and Aemond are talking about um, they were picking on him in the dragon pit saying that you know oh he'll have a dragon one day and they bring out a pig dressed as a dragon to um, pick on him like Aegon and Jason then bring out the pig to pick on um, Aemond as the little brother and he tells Alicent about that and Alicent tells Aemond you know oh you'll have a dragon one day um, Helena then says he'll have to close an eye for it or He'll have to lose an eye for it. I don't remember it word for word. But it's 100% accurate because we're going to get into it in our um, Dragon Dream section, which is a really good segue. So um, as to why Eamon's going to have to close an eye to get a dragon. So let's jump into our Dragon Dreams and we're going to talk about it. All right, so when it comes to um, Helena's foresight that Aemon is going to have to lose an eye to claim a dragon, that's something that we very well might see in the next episode. And if not the next episode, then the one like right after it. It'll happen very soon. So we've had the most of the year of the Red Spring, which is, um, you know, identifiable by we've lost Lena and we've lost Harwin. So next, unfortunately, and sadly is Lenor. He um, dies in a duel. So keep an eye on Carl. He looks all nice and friendly now. Oh, no. I don't know how they're <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do it because um, now that Damon and his daughters are without Lena, there was rumor in Fire and Blood that Damon may have orchestrated Lenor's death. Because, you know, he's always kind of wanted to be with Rhaenyra. However, they have um, changed up a lot of who did what in this show, right? So, everybody keep an eye on Carl. He has something to do with Lenor's death. 
So um, when they attend the funeral for Laenor, Vagar has no rider now because they lost Lena. So Aemon takes it upon himself. He's like, I'm going to get a dragon. I'm going to get the biggest fucking dragon they have. And he goes to try and fly Vagar. Aemon flies Vagar and comes back and Rhaenyra's kids are waiting for him. And they get in this big scuffle and Luke takes out a dagger and takes out Aemon's eye. So that's what um, Helena was referring to when she was like, he's going to have to close an eye for it. Because um, he flies Vagar, he claims his dragon, but then he loses his eye. And he's still, like, um, from what I remember, Kristen does continue instructing him, and he becomes a formidable swordsman. Yeah, so the then the statement that Helena makes about, you know, you're going to have to close an eye is very similar to, like, a sorceress, witchy, the red priestess kind of thing that she oh, says yeah. to Arya about you'll close brown eyes, green eyes, and blue eyes. That's good. That's a good point. Because um, there are several different... Um, people who do have that gift of foresight like um bran has the green dreams um danny is a dreamer a long time ago had the dragon dreams i think danny gets some dragon dreams but i haven't Mm -hmm. finished the original series for song of ice and fire i've just finished fire and blood so um i think danny has some dragon dreams and then um you know melisandre has that foresight through brawler i think is how you say um his name so it will be really interesting to see helena use that gift and i think it really adds to her story because she she's always been like I've always liked her character and like I said she has a very difficult life and so I would love to see more of her in the show for sure so um for the audience um we do want to know what was it like seeing Vagar on screen for the first time ever we've been looking forward to this episode we've been waiting to see what it's going to be like to see a dragon that's more or less the size of Beleriand on screen and we want to know what you guys thought of that i was i loved it i got so excited i know it's not for me it's for the audience but you also saw um like there were some holes in her wings you could see her little grayish hair tentacle things like she was just (laughs) hair tentacle she was so pretty (laughs) she's and um i they do say that the dragons bond with their rider is better if they have a lot of things in common but it, I've always had it added a lot of nuance because um, Vagar was first bonded to Visenya, and she was like this warrior queen, like armor, you know, straight into battle. I think she flew in the field of fire with Aegon, and then um, she bonds with um, Balin, which is uh, Damon and Viserys's father. So she bonds with him, and he was. Um, I think that they flew in one of the biggest Targaryen victories. Um, I believe it was against Dorne. And um, I don't think that they lost very many people at all in that. So, you know, she got, she's been flying with warriors and she's flying with Lena. And I really think that she saw Lena's like warrior spirit, you know, like she's, she was a fierce, fierce lady and she loved to fly. And that's why I think that dragon bond ran so deep is because she might've, seen you know some of her past writers in lena's spirit you know so oh i just got heartbroken about poor vagar going through so many different writers and tragic endings and yeah. the poor dragon i know vagar needs love but then she bonds to aemond and i'm gonna say it right now aemond is the reason i'm not team green aemond aemond is the reason that i'm not team green <laughs> so i think it's disrespectful that vagar went to that side <laughs> she flipped factions and yes. um martin's um 
in his writing, he's like, you know, who can know what goes on in the mind of a dragon? So you guys can leave that in the comments too. Like, why do you think Vagar went from Basenia and Balin and Lena to Aemond? I'm biased <laughs> as hell. <laughs> but for those who have read Fire and Blood, you know what I'm talking about. And it's a little season two and season three. But tell me why you think Vagar picked Aemond of all people ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I'm done with my rant now. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right, <laughs> I hope so because I, be, I I I think I rant too much, but I get really hype about this fandom. Yes. And you guys can join us getting hype about House of the Dragon every week. We're gonna be back every Tuesday on CouchSuit.com during season one to recap the latest episode of House of the Dragon. Yeah, so if you're a member, then you get that early access on Couch Soup, and then they drop on YouTube or on uh, any podcast platform that you listen to on Wednesdays, so be sure to hit that like button. No, let us know in the comments, the audience prompt, what did you think about Vagar on screen for the first time, and uh, also what other lore you'd like us to dive into, because we definitely need some more fandoms to talk about. So we will see you guys next week with all the fire and soup. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts.